These lakes hold a lot of stories, and all of them get better every time they're told. Because you've got 40-inch gators out there, giant lakers, crappies, sunnies, and walleye. So many walleye. So get ready with the best from clam, otter, vexlar, hummingbird, garmin, 13 fishing, and many more. The Shields Ice Fishing Sale runs now through December 13th, in-store and online at shields.com. The ice is calling. Hello and welcome to the Reverend Hunter podcast. This is Tony Jones, the Reverend Hunter. Joined for this special fifth Monday episode by my trustworthy companion, Brandon. Brandon, how you doing? I, I, I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Good. I'm doing great. I've, I've been getting a lot of um, I've been getting a lot of comments from people saying, "Man, you're having the greatest hunting season," and I think it's because of Instagram, partly, but. Also, I am having a great hunting season. Good. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm very fortunate. Um, I, man, since since we last talked, we had our uh, deer firearm season. I mean, I guess I mentioned it on the intro of our last um, podcast episode with our London-based Italian chef James. But I shot two big-bodied, beautiful deer on the same day, on which I've never done before, on opener of firearm season um, in here in Minnesota. I was in a tree stand on the very north edge of our property when a doe came running toward me, um, and I used some guy's grunt to get a, a white-tailed deer to stop in its tracks. But I used a little Cesar Milan. Have you ever watched uh, Cesar Milan, uh, the Dog Whisperer, on TV? <laughs> I have. I have watched my my favorite one of my favorite episodes. Of South Park is parroting him actually. But yeah, okay. he, that, That's awesome. yeah, he makes that 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 noise or whatever. Yeah, it's, he goes. Tss. Yeah. So I did that, man. This doe was just like running toward me, and I went, tss, and it stopped in its tracks. And uh, I shot it, and it dropped. And, man, this deer was so big, I could not lift it in the back of the truck. I tried for about half an hour to get it onto the tailgate of my truck. Couldn't do it. So, finally, I attached ratchet straps uh, to the front and rear of the deer (laughs) and, like, ratcheted it up enough that I could kind of heave it into the back. I didn't want to call like everybody else who was up there at our place with us, they were all hunting and I didn't want to, you know, it was like we had just started hunting an hour before and I didn't want to bother any of them and get them down from their stands and mess up their hunt. So I wasn't going to call anybody for help. And uh, yeah, so I finally got it, got it back to the cabin Got it hung up, got it skinned, and then I thought, well, uh, I'm gonna, you know, go sit again because in our you you've been to our place. It's in a CWD management zone, so that means you can 
um, you can take a buck and then you can take up to five does. That's per person. And the doe tags cost $2.50. So why wouldn't you go back out? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So I'd shot the doe and I still had a tag for a buck and I went out and sat in another ladder stand uh, on another part of our property and um, about half an hour, I suppose, before before sunset, I saw a buck. It was the furthest shot, far, furthest or farthest. That's one I'm I'm not so great at. I will say the yeah. far, the, <laughs> the furthest shot I've ever taken. I'm guessing it was a hundred and ten yards, probably between some trees, um, and I took a shot. And I broke the deer's front leg. Ah. Uh, and I climbed down out of the stand. And, you know, it was it was kind of limping. Um, and it was wounded. And I had to take another shot. It was... And, and that deer took a while to die. And, and so, it's actually one of the things I've been thinking about this hunting season is I've been thinking about death. And thinking about when an animal dies at my hand. And, you know, we've talked about this before on the podcast. I talked about it particularly a couple episodes ago with Jill Carroll. I strongly urge people to go back and uh, listen to that uh, episode if they haven't. But, man, it's, I don't know, it's something. have Have you seen, has anybody died in front of you? I've, I mean, I've, I've put animals, you know, uh, to sleep mm. and such like that, like, you know, pri- mm-hmm. you know, personal pets and stuff, but nothing else really of, of any uh, extreme nature. No. Yeah. No humans have died in front of you. And nope. nope. I've been fortunate in that, that regard. Yeah. I've had a few, I mean, as a, when I was a pastor, of course, that does happen that you're by people's bedside when they die on occasion. Right. And uh, so I had that experience. I was in the room when my dad died about two and a half years ago. Um, and it's, it, I, I will tell you this. I mean, it, it's, um, it, it's, it's hard to, I'm obviously stammering for words because I, it's hard to articulate, I think, but here's one thing I did walk away from this deer season thinking two things, I guess I'd say. One is I never want to get inured to the pathos of death and the suffering that I put, you know, an animal through when I shoot it. I I don't want to become uh, insulated or, you know, I I, I don't want to forget that or, or... I don't want to become um, insensitive to what that means. I hope that when an animal dies in front of me, uh, it, that that it affects me because it's a, you know, it, it it's it. There's a finality to it, obviously, to bring the end to, uh, the end of life to another creature. But here's the other thing: is that you know, I shoot one or two deer a year. I shoot dozens of ducks and pheasants a year and it is this is this is one of the things i've been thinking about too is it it is hard to 
stay attuned to the finality of the death when you know you're shooting pheasants you know two or three a day for three or four or five days straight which is often how my pheasant hunting trips go or the same with ducks you know you can shoot seven a day most places um so yeah that's something i've been thinking about is just the death you know the how i mean i've said it before that all of us who eat meat whether you're a hunter or not you're implicated in the death of an animal um but i'm i'm you know immediately implicated in it because i'm causing the death at my hand i'm not outsourcing that death to another human being so anyway that's been something <laughs> thought i'd start off our little fifth monday episode with something light light and happy what do well, you think no, about that no i mean it's it's interesting you bring it up me you know just just dipping my toes into the hunting world obviously that's that's one thing that weighs on my mind is how i'm going to yeah. feel afterwards and you know as you kind of put it you know with the multiple ducks or multiple pheasants in a day i i, I mean I, I i guess i'm kind of you know it do you feel different when it's the 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 birds versus the mammals? I mean, I'm I'm kind of asking an obvious question, but do you get a little bit colder now that you know you do so many birds in a day? Where you know you still feel the death, but emotionally you're just not tied to it. Whereas a deer is you know one maybe two or whatever a season that that feeling holds stronger to you. Is there a big difference in the two? Like when you're hunting? Yeah, there's a huge difference. There's a huge difference, and I remember when you and I've started talking about your you know, initial forays into hunting. And you said, well, I think I could shoot a squirrel or a pheasant. I don't think I could shoot a deer. And uh, it is different to shoot. It, it's different to shoot an animal with eyelashes. Right. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, it's not the eyelashes exactly, but but I mean, it's also the pure physical size of it too. Yeah. And, you know, when you see yeah. the inside of an animal that big, you know, it's, it's, it's a little different off than us, but you could see like the heart physically looks like a heart or the lungs physically look like what you would see almost, you know, lungs looking like for a human. Again, I understand they're not the same. The sizes are different, but it's just more of a comparable and more of a relatable. They're view. pretty close, man. I mean, I remember the first time that I gutted a deer and I put my hands into its, you know, viscera and started pulling it out. Um, you kind of separate all the internal organs from the chest cavity and then you start pulling bits out. And, and I did, that's exactly what I thought, Brandon. I thought, man, like this heart is about the same size as a human heart, this stomach, these intestines, that you know these kidneys like everything's about the same size as if you were putting your hands into the body cavity of a human being and same you know generally same temperature and it's very different when you are you know uh gutting a pheasant that you shot two days earlier and has been hanging outdoors in the in the cool air and you know you put two fingers in there and scoop it out um, it still takes a little getting used to, but you get used to it a lot faster, I think, than than the the deer hunting. So yeah, I mean, I I do I sympathize with you when you say that you'd be down with you know shooting a squirrel or a, a bird, but it would be it's a bigger leap to shoot a pheasant, and I mean to shoot a deer, and and I you know I spent many years 
hunting birds before I started deer hunting it, it, for some of those same reasons that that you bring up. Now, when you when you when you get a deer, and I know there's other large game out there, does it does it does it inspire you to find that other big game hunt out there, such as like, you know an elk, caribou, mm. whatever? Does that mm-hmm. does it get you more excited, or does it kind of make you take a step back and go, "Wow, this really is a big thing that I'm I'm doing," or you know, a, a bigger life that I'm taking, quote unquote? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't think it dissuades me from doing uh, those other kinds of hunts. Okay. Um, but I'll tell you what, it does make me think a couple things. For one thing, like to shoot that buck and and just break its front leg and then have to um have to, you know, kind of find it and and shoot it again in order to kill it. It did make me think uh, like I've never had the misfortune of losing an animal. I mean, I've lost plenty of birds that, you know, I haven't been able to find or have wounded and they've gotten away, but I have never shot a deer that I couldn't find. Here's a crazy thing too, man. When I was cleaning that, uh, when I was like butchering the meat on that deer, uh, the back strap is, uh, it's a muscle that runs on either side of the spine on the, on the back side of a deer on the outside, the tenderloins are on the inside. And then the back strap is runs down either side of the spinal column on the, on the back. There was a broad head, like an arrow head, a broad head in the back strap of, uh, the buck that I shot. Jeez. So somebody had shot that deer with an arrow uh, probably a year ago, I'm guessing. I don't think it was this year. I think it was a year ago. And the deer survived and muscle had grown all around. Muscle and viscera and all sorts of other stuff had grown all around that broadhead. So think about that, man. Somebody shot that deer. It survived for another, you know, year, and then I shot it with a rifle, and and harvested it. But you think about that. Um, that that was that was kind of took my breath away a little bit. And I know, you know, I, that's not that rare of an occurrence that people find, you know, arrowheads or or what arrow shafts or they find deer that have had been hit by cars and survived and have like you know scar tissue and stuff like that um but here's what i did think i here's what i did think um i thought first of all one thing was it was unseasonably warm this year in minnesota for deer opener on whatever november 5th or whatever it was it was like 70 degrees so we usually have this really great luxury of hanging our deer last year i hung my deer for a week outdoors because it was the perfect kind of dry aging weather you know it was like 35 every day got down to 25 at night it's great for the meat we had to hustle to get that meat butchered and on ice this year and that's just the way it is in a lot of places so one thing i thought i mean so the two things i guess i thought about um chasing other big game was uh if if i'm gonna do it somewhere that's warmer that has a warmer climate i really need to be prepared 
to butcher that deer quickly and efficiently so as not to lose any meat. Because it's really important to me that if I'm going to take the life of an animal that I use all the meat off that animal. And the second thing was just that to make sure that I really make a good shot. I mean, it's one thing to, sh- to, to you know, break this deer's leg I- in the woods. Um, I was able to get down out of my ladder stand, uh, get to within close, you know, 25 yards of the deer and shoot it again with a double lung shot, which, you know, killed it almost instantly. It would be much tougher, you know, out West in the open, a pra- uh, prairie or whatever uh, to or um, shoot an animal, make a not a great shot, and that animal could just absolutely boogie. And I mean, that can happen with white-tailed deer too, but I think it's probably much more um, likely in the in the open ground. So I, I did um, after my conversation with Michael Chan, which which we released. On October fifth, we recorded that in my backyard, as you remember. I did actually spend thirty bucks buying a point for an antelope hunt in Wyoming. Oh yeah, which yeah, which means I might, you know, I, I he says if I have one point um, in that kind of point system of Wyoming, I have about a fifty-fifty chance of drawing a tag this year. And then if I don't get one this year, I'm almost assured of getting one in the fall of 2022. Okay. So, yeah, I thought, I mean, he really, he really inspired me to give that a chance uh, uh, to get, you know, to make that after my less than successful elk hunt in Colorado a year ago, he said, if you want to try a, a stock hunt, in uh out west he said you know try antelope in wyoming so yeah i took his uh took his advice well that all right that's okay that's pretty cool now i mean since uh you know i'm the amateur here that just makes me think a a little bit or think twice about bow hunting just just the humaneness you really have to be really good in order to make it a a clean process because as you mentioned i mean you, you say it's not not terribly uncommon that you'll find remnants of somebody that hit it before and you know obviously didn't get it so just to me i just i have a whole new opinion not opinion but my eyes have been opened up to how difficult bow hunting must actually be (laughs) yeah i think it is and and i you know it's something i do want to get into but again to to reference back to an earlier uh podcast episode we did uh with nate pyle he talked about how much time he spends practicing. Okay. And I, you know, I I would really need to do that. I I probably with my rifle I probably go out twice a year in the summer and practice shooting my rifle at 50 yards, 100 yards, whatever, 125 yards. Um I I go out with my shotgun almost every weekend we shoot clays up up north but man if i think if i had a started bow hunting which you know like i say i hope to do yep it would be quite a commitment to get out there and really get good at it because it's a lot easier to lose an animal um and you spend a lot more time sitting well hey let's uh let's talk about your first ever hunt we 
I should say we did talk about it a little bit on the Flush podcast. I really encourage all of our listeners to go uh, listen to the Flush, especially the episode in which I was the subject of the interview. It was a ton of fun. Um, but we, you and I went out with a few other guys uh, on a Sunday uh, about a month ago. And I mean... Spoiler alert, we did not shoot any rooster, any pheasant roosters. We did see a couple from a distance. It was <laughs> it was kind of a rough day of hunting, but nevertheless, like what'd you think? Was it fun? Was it too cold? What did you like carrying a gun around in a field? Did it make you nervous? Like what was your experience of it? So yeah, it was, I mean, it was a combination of everything. I overall had a fun time. I really did. It's, again, it's, it's learning a new craft. It's also giving me another excuse to be outside and actually have a reason to be out there and doing something, which is what it takes sometimes just to get outside. Um, So, so it it was really great on that aspect. I I like just, you know, there's almost that camaraderie, that bonding bit too, that happens when you're all out there, you know, in between or whatever. So that's, that was cool too. Um, was it too cold? No. Um, it was, yeah, it was good. I, I did get nervous holding a gun. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it, at points is, you know, I'm, I'm making sure my finger's nowhere near the trigger. The trigger's nowhere near something that could bump something or making sure my gun's upright. Nobody's in the direction where it could be angled. You know, mm-hmm. it, it was a lot to think about at first, but I got more comfortable with it, you know, especially by like the second field we did where, you know, I walked the first field, felt fine, you know, walked through a lot of different terrain, which is cool. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, you know, I got more comfortable with the idea of it. And then there was one point when one of the dogs pointed a little bit and that's when I got nervous again, like, all right, now there's a possibility I might have to shoot. Where is everybody around me? Where, where's the dog at? So then got my mind working again. You know, there's, there's really a lot of things working to, to make this one task happen. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was, it was a good it's a good worry though, because it keeps you on your toes and, and you really do learn from the situation when you're a little bit scared of it. So yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I really did have a good time. Um, I, you know, got to see a couple, like you said, from far away, one running across the road mm-hmm. to get under private property. Right. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good day overall. I, I enjoyed it. That's cool. Yeah. You know, there's um, Aristotle, he was a bit critical of Plato in Plato's breakdown of different types of knowledge. Plato talked about uh, theoria and techne, from which we get the words theory and technology. Um, or, you know, th- there's also a word praxis, which is more like um, ma- making stuff work. So, obviously, theoria is the type of knowledge that's purely in your head. It's the kind of knowledge that Plato and his teacher Socrates said were the greatest kinds of knowledge. And then there's, you know, Plato said, then he kind of looked down his nose at techne, which is this technical knowledge, just basically how to make things work. You know, in other words, Plato thinks it's more noble to be a philosopher than to be a blacksmith because blacksmiths just mindlessly, you know, pound pound out uh, horseshoes all day and a philosopher sits around thinking about truth and the nature of the universe. Aristotle, who broke away from uh, Plato, 
was critical of this and said there's another kind of knowledge. It's called phronesis. And we don't actually have an English word that comes directly from phronesis, unfortunately, because uh, Plato has been dominant in the West for a long, long time. But I mean, the closest, sometimes it's translated prudence, prudential kind of wisdom, but that's not quite right. Phronesis is the combination of uh, kind of book learning or theoretical knowledge along with practical wisdom of like kind of on-the-job training. And the reason I, I say that is because I think your experience, just in the way you describe it, reminds me of something about hunting. It, it, it's not unlike learning to drive a car, which I've now been through in the last few years with all three of my kids as they've turned 15 and then 16, getting their learner's permit and then getting their driver's license. And, you know, they go through all this, they go through the 30 hours in the classroom and they have the behind the wheel uh, training sessions and they take the written test and get their permit. But then, you know, you have to learn it, it as you know, from driving, like it doesn't matter how much you learn about um, when you turn on your blinker, there, there's, there's an internal knowledge that happens that now sometimes if you turn on your blinker too early and it's blinking for too long, you feel like, oh, that was kind of, I feel like kind of a goon, you know, or if you forget to turn on your blinker. Uh, and somebody beeps their horn at you again. You feel like a goon, right? It, it it becomes kind of a muscle memory type thing. You just use your blinker, or you you don't you know you don't do what they taught you in driver's ed, where you're on the highway behind somebody and you count one one thousand, two one thousand, three one thousand. But you know, so you have time to break or whatever. It just it you internalize it basically. This is. This is exactly, I think, how hunting works, particularly like a bird hunt, like a pheasant hunt. Your first time out there, you know, you have you have read about it or watched YouTube videos and you've taken a hunter safety course. And we, of course, did a little gun safety spiel in the, you know, in the uh, driveway before we headed out. But until you get out there and do it, you're always going to be trying to think like, okay, where's the guy on my left? Where's the guy on my right? Um, you know, is my safety on or off? Is my, am I, where's my shooting zone, et cetera. But the more you do it, the more you're going to internalize that, that knowledge. And it's going to be just a part of who you are. There's another famous uh, philosopher from the 20th century named Pierre Bourdieu. He called he he coined a term for it called habitus. It, it's it's almost like a habit, but it's not a mindless habit. It's a habit that you're also thinking about. And um, so anyway, a long explanation to say that I think that you know as you became more comfortable with it, and the more you do it, the more and more comfortable you will be with it because um, you know things are. Uh, you know, things fall into place and you have more experience. And so you build on your book learning with your practical experience of the endeavor, and it's just going to make you better and better at it and more comfortable at it. 
Yeah, it's it's kind of like the old book smarts versus street smarts, right? You yeah, know, it's it's, it's yeah. that old sort of bit where that street smarts is, is you know, you're going to be scared or whatever, but then instinct is going to kind of take over. Then things become sort of a natural progression from there. You can learn everything you want in a book about anything, but until you actually put you know into a practical application, you know, that knowledge is almost useless. It's it's just there. So no, right, it's, right. it's 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 hey, I've gone on hikes before. I love to all the time. So, you know, I thought, hey, hiking through fields, a big deal, super easy, yeah. no problem. It's just fields. Uh, no, it's a, <laughs> again, I could read ahead, I could prepare myself, but until I got into the actual fields hunting, that's a different type of walking. That's a different type of exercise that my body has uh, not experienced before, <laughs> maybe in a very long time. So it's, it's again, you know, I, I could read ahead as much as I want to, you know, get the right boots, get the right snow pants, get it the right everything. Mm-hmm. But until I'm actually out in the field and practicing these things that I've quote unquote learned, that knowledge meant nothing beforehand. I learned everything completely different when I was out there in the field doing it. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I, I will, I, work harder walking through fields when I'm hunting than I ever would if I were just on a hike because I have a goal, you know, like I have a, a what the Greeks called a telos. I had, I have something that I'm aiming toward and that is to, you know, quarry, um, a, an animal. Um, and yeah, if I were just out on a hike for one thing, you know, you, when you're hiking, most of the time you're on a trail that other people have hiked on. You're very seldom are you bushwhacking, right? Like through a forest or through a field. And when you're hunting, it's it's almost all bushwhacking. Now some of it's pretty easy walking in ankle. Uh, I mean, in in like uh, knee high switchgrass or something. But a lot of times it's like we're pushing through cattails. It's muddy or snowy. It, it's super hard work. And I push myself as a 52-year-old, I push myself a lot harder hunting than I do when I go to the gym, just to be totally honest. You know, well, I yeah. mean, it's, it's, well, and you're doing the physical task too of this harder, a little bit extra work, but then your mind is also working on looking at the ground, seeing if there's any sign of anything around, making sure you're not stepping anything all the while while right. looking forward, seeing where the dog's at. It's a, uh, there's a lot going on at one time. There really There's is. a lot going on, and you have a deadly weapon in your yes, hands. Yes, so you very much do. It just it just forces you to be alert in a way that a lot of other. I mean, look it's 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 a common, uh, it's a common kind of thought about modern life is things are so easy that it it lulls us into a malaise, you know, we're all kind of zombies because nothing is that difficult. Um, we get, uh, you know, so bored sitting at a stoplight, we open our phone and check Twitter because it's just, we're just sleepwalking through life and hunting in so many ways makes demands on us and, and having this lethal weapon in our hands is a big part of it. It makes demands on us that we become more attentive to what's going on around us. And yeah, I just, I, I love that. I, lo- I mean, you, you said it that day, you said it on the flush podcast, you said it again here. I love hearing that. Um, I love hearing you say that because it's a reminder to me. I'll never again be a first time hunter. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So for you to say that, like, oh my gosh, I'm thinking about where do I aim my gun and, you know, 
these guys around me, they have guns and this and that. I, I like hearing that because it, it, it reminds me of what it, of what we're doing and, and what it's like. So well, and man, it's, I, it's such a different way of learning anything these days, you know, instead yeah. of doing it on a touch screen, something that fits in my palm, I'm actually having to go out there and use some critical thinking and physical. I'm having to be physical about it too, at the same time. So it, in a weird way, you know, it gives respect for the people of the past and like how they had to learn and actually do stuff. Whereas like you said, we get bored at a stoplight cause we have an extra five seconds. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, and it's a slow learning process too. And it's, it's painful physically at points and mentally it can be a little bit strenuous because it's a slower, longer process, but I do feel you gain so much more in that regard. And, you know, that respect level you're about when I finally get to see an animal will be, will be even that much more just knowing what you have to go through to get to that point. Well, winter, do you think you and I could get out sometime in December? Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I uh, have healed up from my physical ailment. I think I'm almost a hundred percent, so I'm ready to go. Good. Yeah, let's do it. I'm I'm headed to. Um, I'll just when this airs, I'll just be back from South Dakota. Uh, but I let's uh, let's make sure we get out there. And I think if we go on a weekday, we might have a little bit better luck. We might also go right after it snows, and that just makes it so great for the dogs to be able to pick up scent laying on top of the snow from the birds, you know? Um, so what we'll try to do is set it up and then maybe Travis can give us one of his super secret spots there. and tell us where to go to find, find. He's got like the fast track and the pheasants forever. He can tell us where to go. Yeah, he does. He's uh, got connections and he knows how to use them correctly. Yeah. And I will yeah, definitely we, open up a day. I mean, I'll, Hey, you know, not to talk too soon, but I can definitely open up a day midweek so we can do this. Where all right, we all right, have a solid now. Before day. we go, before we go, what did you have on Thursday for Thanksgiving dinner? I had probably Chinese takeout from a local place right across the street from me. <laughs> oh my gosh, are you like in a Christmas story or something? <laughs> it's it's my version of Thanksgiving story. Uh, there's only a couple places open on Thanksgiving. It's only going to be me and my girlfriend. There's no sense in making this huge extravagant turkey we'll just we'll just have some some chinese food with leftovers later i mean it's okay oh man that's (laughs) that sounds pretty good actually it it could be worth and it's supporting a local business that uh everybody needs to do a little right now yeah that's true yeah that's very true i'm uh i'm gonna be trying my first pheasant i'm sorry first first turkey on the rotisserie i've done some ducks on my on my Weber kettle grill rotisserie attachment, I've done a couple ducks and some chickens. This will be my first turkey, so uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how that turns out. Well, I wish you luck, and I look forward to seeing the Instagram pictures that are uh, that will soon be following. I imagine. Oh yeah, there'll be Insta. <laughs> there'll be Insta. The re- at the Reverend Hunter. Well, before we go, I do just want to say to to listeners out there, I've really, I, you know, we got here another month of the year, but I've just so appreciated the support we've gotten in the first year of this podcast. I cannot tell you how important it is uh, in the kind of podcast universe to get ratings and reviews and subscriptions. Like the more of those we get, the more it helps us out there serving up, you know, first of all, the different podcast services will recommend this podcast to people who listen to similar podcasts. But man, a lot of people, you know, they scroll through and look at 
how many reviews the show has and what the average star rating is and, and what people say in the comments. So, um, if you, if you, you know, all I want for Christmas is just that you take 15 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. I'd really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, and uh, tell a friend because uh, word of yeah. mouth, word of mouth when it comes to these podcasts is probably one of the best ways you can you can really get it out there. If you like it, if you relate to it, or any anything, tell a friend. I mean, why not? Yeah, man. You can you can share it with a with a one tap. You can share it with somebody. So please do it. Well, thanks everybody for listening to the Reverend Hunter podcast. This special fifth Monday episode, once in a blue moon. Brandon and I just chit chat the two of us we appreciate you listening in and we will be back next week with another episode of the reverend hunter podcast these lakes hold a lot of stories and all of them get better every time they're told because you've got 40 inch gators out there giant lakers crappie sunnies and walleye so many walleye so get ready with the best from clam, otter, vexlar, hummingbird, garmin, 13 fishing, and many more. The Shields Ice Fishing Sale runs now through December 13th, in-store and online at shields.com. The ice is calling.